The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show, everyone. This is Sabrina Calazans, and I'm joined by Natalia Abrams and Cody Hunanian from the Student Debt Crisis Center. Today, we're taking over for Leslie Marshall and discussing all of the recent developments around student debt. So thanks again for joining us. My name is Sabrina, and I'm the Managing Director at Student Debt Crisis Center. And today, I'm here with SDCC's President Natalia Abrams. Thanks for joining us today, Natalia. Thank you, Sabrina, and really excited to hear that new title of Managing Director. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. And we also have Cody Hunanian on the line, the Executive Director at SDCC. How's it going, Cody? Hey, Sabrina. Uh, I'm doing well. So happy to be on today. If uh, 2022 wasn't the biggest year ever for student loan borrowers, then 2023 is. So, so much to talk about as we uh, uh, kick off January and start the new year. Definitely a lot to talk about today. And Natalia, I know we've been super fortunate to take over the Leslie Marshall show a few times, um, but if you can just remind folks who haven't um, heard us take over before a little bit about the work that we do at SDCC. Sure, thank you. So yes, this is the State of Student Debt takeover of the Leslie Marshall show from Student Debt Crisis Center, that's us. And at Student Debt Crisis Center, we really work to center the needs and voices of student loan borrowers by partnering with allies um, and government officials to impact pu public policy, excuse me, and once and for all in the student debt crisis. And in the next segments after this one, you will actually get to hear from one of our awesome partners um, and kind of see what we do by making sure we're working with the people that are the best at what they do. Definitely. And Cody, as you said, 2023 is going to be a huge year for student debt and student debt cancellation. So can you bring us up to speed on, on where things stand currently and, and how we got here? Yeah, well, I think the first uh, part of this year is going to be a lot of uh, continuing the work that really, uh, you know, really just started to get foundation uh, and, and ground underneath our feet uh, last year. So First and foremost is going to be the fight in the Supreme Court to cancel student debt. We talked a lot about that on the last SDCC takeover of the show. Uh, there's a lot to talk about today, and I'm glad we've got uh, Mike Pierce on later in the next segment to provide that legal perspective. On top of that, uh, I think there's some really notable uh, updates in the news just this week. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about. But I think it is worth noting that so much of what 2023 is going to be about is continuing to build momentum that we really started last year to make sure that all of the big wins on the radar uh, aren't just on the radar, but are secured and uh, that we make sure that borrowers and advocates really push this fight for student debt relief across the finish line. Yeah, and just to add to that, to, to kind of level set of what's going on. You know, last time we spoke, not, so not much has changed, right? We are working towards this uh, oral arguments for the Supreme Court. That's on February 28th. Um, that's a really key, that key date. Mark that on your calendars. For us West Coasters, it's going to start early in the morning, but we know so many borrowers want to hear these arguments. They will be broadcast live. Another note is that 
you know, and as Cody said, we'll get more into the legal arguments, but student, uh, it's been paused. There's been that temporary injunction. So you can't apply for student debt forgiveness right now. If you have applied, great. They are holding your forms. You do not need to reapply. But right now, this is on a temporary pause. The good news is Biden, President Biden just released a new repayment program that was uh, promised to us in August. That is, is very good news, far more generous than we've seen before with repayment programs. And Cody, you're absolutely right. This is the year, the time, the moment that we all have to get really energized, both for the courts, for President Biden, for the court of public opinion, because finally people are listening to borrowers like they've never listened to them before. And so we have to make sure we don't lose that momentum that we built last year. Yeah, I really love that, you know, the two of you brought it back to borrowers. And I think that's what makes our movement so powerful. It's because we are centering borrowers when it comes to our issue. We're trying to amplify their voices and needs. And I think that needs to be the core of the work that we do. And so I know that we deal with borrowers. We hear directly from them. And one of the things that we've been hearing the most is about how borrowers are feeling currently. And so we're hearing a lot from folks, whether it's reaching out online, whether it's, you know, emailing and just even calling is just, you know, them talking about how they want to get involved and how they want to take action. And I think that's really exciting to see folks, you know, energized and also that millions of folks are understanding how critical this moment is um, in, in this fight for student debt cancellation. Um, for them and for their families. And so I know that the two of you have been working in this space for, you know, over a decade. And so I can imagine how you both are feeling to see like more and more people wanting to get involved each and every time. Um, and so I just wanted to get like your initial thoughts on on, on that. Well, I think, I, and Cody, I'm curious if you feel the same way. It's, I'm just, I like, I never thought this would get to the place where we'd have a, a huge executive order from the president to cancel student debt. It wasn't all student debt, but it was a huge start. And then I never thought we'd rise to the level of the Supreme Court, but here we are. And this is the highest court in the land. That's why I keep saying this is the moment, this is the time. Uh, this is going to be a huge decision. And it, and. God forbid this decision doesn't go our way. We still have the ear of the president and that's amazing. Like, I just think that I want to thank all the borrowers out there that have continued to be loud and for decades shared their stories only to finally be listened to here in 2022 and 2023. Cody. Yeah. I mean, I share a lot of that optimism as a borrower, someone who's impacted by this issue uh, myself. Um, I, believe in this movement's ability to provide relief and help people who have faced many of the same obstacles I have when it comes to affording your monthly payments or supporting your family or whatever it may be. Uh, but, you know, as an advocate, I, I'm blessed with the ability to to really try to channel th those feelings into change every single day. But Sabrina, you touched on it. Uh, you don't have to be an advocate to be able to take the feelings and the emotions and maybe even the frustration that we all share right now and channel it into something good. And, and you touched on it, but I, I have to just underline, you know, in the last 24 hours alone, we asked people across the country to sign a petition, adding their name in support of defending student debt cancellation at the Supreme Court. 11,000 people signed in 24 hours. So the, I, I've said it, I'm gonna say it again, all of the great work and movement building that everyday people have been doing over the last several years 
uh, has got us here and it continues today and it's what's going to continue to propel and drive this movement. So I'm optimistic as a borrower and I'm very optimistic uh, as an advocate who is not only being able to do the work, but being able to echo and amplify the voices of everyone else across the country who really believes that this type of relief is much needed. Yeah, for sure. And I know that, you know, it's, as you said, it's all about the momentum and the work of folks who have been doing this for a long time. And I'm excited to have Mike join us um, after, but I know that he was influential in in PSLF and public service loan forgiveness and getting that um, passed. And so I, I just wanted to bring that up because I saw that you had shared a story with me today, Cody, of Wilson, who we had worked with closely, who through the PSLF waiver that took, you know, so many advocates and orgs and folks, you know, calling out um, the administrations and just asking for change. Because of that, Wilson was able to get all of his student debt canceled. And so I think that, you know, it's always worth mentioning that folks are, you know, succeeding, folks are still benefiting, but we, there's a, still a really long road ahead of us and there's a long way to go. And so we have to continue fighting. And I think that ties in perfectly uh, into a preview of the uh, events that we've been working on, Natalia, if you could just talk a little bit about that, because I think it's really exciting. Yeah, well, first off on public service loan forgiveness, that program still exists. If you work in public service and you've worked 10 years and you have a federal loan, you can have your debt canceled and you can apply for that or contact us at studentdebtcrisis.org and we'll help you through that. So let's not forget the existing programs that still are there to help you cancel your debt while we fight for broad-based debt cancellation for everyone. And I just say, meet us on the steps, right? We're going to the Supreme Court and it's not just us. We're working with tons of wonderful organizations, Mike organizations, Student Borrower Protection Center, so many other great organizations are corralling as many people as we can for a rally for student loan borrowers, right? This is a rally for, this is not something against. We know we have public support on our side, but we have to come out to the steps and show it. If you can't make it to the courts, we're working on ways that you can have viewing parties or watch along with us. We know folks from our Free the Degree campaign are having great events on their college campus. So February 28th, mark it on your calendar. That is the day to get loud and really show your support. Yes, for sure. And this is really exciting stuff and we have a lot more to talk about. So I'm going to hop off to make a little bit of room for Mike. So Mike will be joining Natalia and Cody to provide clear updates on what to expect in the next few weeks. This is the SCCC takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Stay with us. Thanks, Brina. Thank you. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Natalia Abrams, and I'm joined by Cody Hunanian, and we are taking over for Leslie Marshall and discussing all things student debt. And we have a really special guest today, a good partner and friend for well over a decade, Mike Pierce, the executive director at the Student Borrower Protection Center. And as I mentioned, one of our strongest allies, Mike's an attorney, advocate, and former senior re regulator who joined Student Borrow Protection Center after more than a decade, that was a decade previous to this one, fighting for student loan borrowers' rights on Capitol Hill and at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Welcome, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. 
Yeah, it's really great to have you here today, especially because I think we actually get to break some news. Mike, would you like yeah. to share where you just came from? <laughs> Absolutely. So we, uh, I, I'm here today joining you guys fresh off of a press conference with uh, a number of leaders and elected officials uh, who have, uh, along with our friends at Student Debt Crisis Center, uh, formed this this really amazing historic coalition to help protect the president's promise to cancel up to $20,000 worth of student debt for everybody. Um, today, 13 different groups of experts and scholars and uh, borrower advocates and labor unions and consumer advocates filed briefs before the Supreme Court uh, in support of the Department of Justice. Um, those briefs uh, have been kind of dripping in throughout the day today, but they are now officially on file as of basically the start of the show. So uh, we're now in a place where the Supreme Court has these incredibly, this incredibly high stakes decision to make about uh, whether or not these dark money funded right-wing challenges to debt relief um, can succeed and can block tens of millions of Americans from the relief that they deserve. And now we know who's on the side of borrowers. Uh, and it's really amazing. Mm -hmm. It is the full breadth of the coalition that helped get us here, that helped persuade President Biden to cancel student debt in the first place. Um, and they are coming out on the side of people with student debt. Yeah, I took a look at the list of orgs and I feel like it's like almost every legal aid organization in the country. It's really comprehensive of, you know, the groups that have worked so hard for so long. Why does the Mickey's brief matter? Um, so I think they matter for two different reasons. Uh, first, this case is a little bit unusual in the way that it came to the Supreme Court in the first place. So um, as listeners know, I, the president, it was just August when the president walked out into the briefing room and promised to cancel student debt for nearly everyone in, in federal judiciary land. That is lightning fast to make it all the way from a policy proposal to oral arguments in front of the highest court in less than six months. That never happens. Uh, the reason that that happened was because hmm. the right-wing judges starting in Texas and Missouri all the way up to the Supreme Court broke protocol and did away with the sort of norms that allow for facts to be developed in the courts so that judges can make reasoned decisions about what the law is and how it applies. And instead, basically the courts took Republicans and right-wing dark money groups word for it. And, and the questions being presented to the court about whether or not anyone is even able to challenge these actions, they all just depend on the representations that were made by these lawsuits when they were hastily filed in the hours after the president promised to cancel student debt. So these briefs are important because they show the coalition of people that are getting the president's back. It's very important atmosphere because it shows why this fight matters, who it matters to. But it's also important because this is the time when we can help develop that record. We can help tell the story about why canceling student debt is important, but also we can help tell the story about why these challenges are illegitimate. Uh, and help persuade the justices. And I think we're all clear-eyed about what this Supreme Court looks like and what the odds are. They're long. But uh, we can try to help persuade the, the justices that these challenges themselves are flawed and that even if you might disagree with the president's policy judgment, it doesn't mean that it's illegal. And it doesn't mean that the court has the ability to slap it down. Well, with that in mind, Mike, you know, this is a strong case and defense of student debt cancellation. I think for those who are borrowers like me and many others, the the big question on their mind is, well, then what's next 
And when can we anticipate, uh, you know, resolution to all this? So what does the timeline look like as far as next steps and ultimately a, a final decision so borrowers know what to anticipate? Uh, so today we've had um, the all of the different affected parties that want to weigh in on this case in support of the government file their briefs. In a couple of weeks, the parties that are challenging this get a chance to respond to the government's opening briefs. A week after that, we're going to see whoever it is that's on the lo- uh, lined up against people with student debt. They'll have a chance to weigh in. And then on February 28th, the judges are going to hear oral arguments here. And, and as Natalia mentioned before, uh, we're going to be on the steps of the, of the Supreme Court. And we are going to be loud and we're going to be out front. Um, but also inside the room, the Department of Justice is going to make the case that the president's promise to cancel student debt is legal and necessary and an appropriate response to the pandemic. So that'll happen. It'll happen on February 28th, and then we'll wait. Uh, And it's very likely going to be June before we hear back. So we will have the spring to keep the pressure on, to keep telling the story of the student debt crisis, to keep making the case publicly that the stakes are high and that the Roberts court can't snatch debt relief away from 40 million people without consequences. And I know we're going to go into each specific court case in the following segments, but can you just expand a little bit more on why this is 100% legal? Sure. So I, we can approach that a couple different ways, but I think that the the way that that folks tend to relate to this most is is not just looking at whether or not this action is legal, but the context that it fits in. The president um, instructed the Secretary of Education to deliver this debt relief to nearly everyone that has a student loan as part of the administration's response to the COVID nineteen pandemic. That's because Congress, back in 2003, with bipartisan support, gave the education secretary the legal authority to take a whole bunch of different kinds of emergency actions in the event of a war or a national emergency. And the pandemic was declared by President Trump to be a national emergency. Um, and as you guys might recall, in the earliest days of the pandemic, the president um, signed, President Trump signed a bill shutting down the student loan system. And then Betsy DeVos used that same authority to keep student loan payments shut off. Uh, So President Biden found himself in the custody of a student loan system that hadn't been doing much for the better part of a year. And he had the same set of emergency powers that Betsy DeVos used, that Donald Trump used, to be able to figure out how to best bring things back to normal. And so um, I think a lot of us have pushed really hard to keep the student loan system shut off. That was not controversial, remains not controversial. In fact, even the states that are challenging broad debt relief acknowledge in their lawsuit the decision to pause student loans and to cancel student loan interest charges for 40 million people is seemingly in keeping with the law. Um, but opponents are arguing that, that for some reason, canceling everybody's interest payments every month for three years is fine, but canceling some amount of their principal is not. Fortunately for the president, the law doesn't make that distinction. The law says if the secretary determines the action to be necessary, then the secretary can do what he or she wants to do with the student loan program, more or less uninhibited. Uh, and so that's the that's the quick version of why it's legal. But it's not just that it's legal. It's legal and it's been done before. This isn't actually as radical as opponents would make it seem. Yeah. And that was I mean, that was March 13th. That was one of the very first COVID pandemic relief things that President Trump did. Uh, so it was obviously cr- crucial then. It's crucial now. Um, I know on the other side of this break, we're going to get more in depth on the two court cases that are coming on February 28th. So this is Natalia Abrams taking over for Leslie Marshall, and we will be right back. Follow Leslie on Twitter 
Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. everyone you are the Leslie Marshall show this is Cody Hunanian and I'm joined by Natalia Abrams we are from the student debt crisis center and we've also got a guest speaker today we've got Pierce from the student borrower protection center joining us we are all filling in for Leslie Marshall and doing a student debt takeover uh, of the show to talk about all of the new updates and, and recent news developments in student debt world uh, so I want to jump back into the conversation here with Mike Pierce. Uh, Mike, in the last segment, we were talking about why student debt cancellation is absolutely legal and why the president has this authority. But you know, along the way, I think we've mentioned a few times that these lawsuits uh, are meritless, they're flawed, but we haven't dived into what these cases look like and what they argue. So why don't we start there? Can you tell us about the two cases that are going to the Supreme Court and what uh, the opponents of student debt cancellation are arguing. Yeah, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna talk about the one that I think is the weakest of the two first, and we'll do it kind of quickly. And then I would love to to really dig into the other one, the the one that's mounted by the state Republican attorneys general. So, mm-hmm. um, two cases here. One is uh, Biden v. Brown, and the other is Biden v. Um, Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, South Carolina, and Arkansas. Um, and in the Brown case, you have uh, two student loan borrowers, uh, both of whom are arguing that the whole thing needs to get taken away from everybody because they didn't get as much debt relief as they want. And that that argument is obviously bad faith. It is backed up by this Republican, uh, this right-wing dark money group called the Job Creators Network that was funded by Bernie Marcus, the founder of Home Depot. Um, they basically created this fictional set of arguments that if uh, these two cranky people can't get their debt relief, then nobody should. Um, and they bring this case on on this argument that doesn't actually jibe with, I don't want to get too lawyery about this, but it doesn't jibe with the way that courts normally allow people to challenge things. Uh, just because you're cranky, you didn't get yours, doesn't mean you get to go to court and challenge mine. And that is a very um, uh, old principle of what's called standing. It's the way that people get into court and or the way people get kicked out of court if they are just a taxpayer that doesn't like a public policy, for example. And this really is just a half a step away from taxpayers being pissed that the government is spending their money in a way that they don't like. And for political reasons, a Trump appointed judge who's a member of the Federalist Society on a trial court in Texas killed the entire student debt relief program. And this didn't go through the normal appellate courts process. Um, the government immediately appealed that decision. Uh, it happened in a in a in a opinion that was sort of poorly reasoned, and everybody scoffed at. But at the end of the day, a judge is a judge, and it got appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court and added to this case that was already moving, filed by these Republican attorneys general. So there are now two cases before the court. Uh, I don't think this case would have gotten to the court on its own in a vacuum. Part of why we see these two legal challenges together, I think, is that the Supreme Court wants to deal with this issue. They don't just want to swat away these challenges. And it's also important to know that two other lawsuits were appealed up to the Supreme Court uh, on an emergency basis before this one. And they were both swatted down by Amy Coney Barrett, by the, the conservative Republican uh, Trump appointed justice. So um, I think of this challenge as something that's closer to those other cases where it probably would have gotten swatted away on its own. 
but instead it got combined with this other challenge. And this other challenge was brought by six Republican state attorneys general that argue for a whole bunch of different reasons that their states are harmed by the president's uh, decision to cancel student debt. And a Republican judge in a federal district court in Missouri dismissed this case. They said that these Republican states don't have standing to bring this case either. Um, they appealed to uh, a bunch of Trump and Bush judges in the Eighth Circuit who paused the entire student loan system. And that's what actually brought us to the Supreme Court. Uh, it's the Justice Department saying, unpause debt relief and actually take a look at these arguments that these Republican states are meeting, are making because they don't actually make any sense. And they mostly hinge on this argument that Mohila, everyone's least favorite student loan company, <laughs> Mohila, um, was created by the Missouri legislature. And it is somehow at the center of this case that that if you cancel the debt, this student loan company will get less business. And if this Missouri-based student loan company gets less business, then the state of Missouri is harmed for reasons that aren't exactly specified. And here we are now with the Missouri state AG kind of leading the charge on behalf of this coalition of six states. Now let's go back to the Brown case, which is the Texas case, right? This is the yep. Fifth Circuit case. Yep. yep. So it, it just sounds like I, I thought taxpayers weren't allowed to sue just because they were upset. I mean, because if, if that can happen, then it's mayhem, right? Then we all can sue over every little line item on our ta on taxes, correct? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And I just because I oppose uh, the Pentagon support for the war in Yemen, I can sue the government. And, you know, I, I wish I could. But at the end of the day, um, right. the law is pretty clear here that taxpayers can't bring lawsuits just because they disagree with public policy. The lawyers here put together an argument that feels really close to that and was different just slightly. And the slight difference there was that uh, these borrowers, one of whom actually does get $10,000 of the debt relief, but not 20. And the other has a so-called FEL loan or guaranteed loan, not the kind of federal loans that were excluded from debt relief. And these two borrowers said that if they had been given the opportunity to provide public comment on the proposal, maybe the president would have provided them with debt relief too and as a result, no one should get debt relief. And the judge in this case, for political reasons, said that's actually not an okay set of arguments. The law is pretty clear that you don't get the right to notice and comment, but I'm gonna ignore that. And I'm gonna shut the whole program down because I disagree with it for other reasons. And that's a, a kind of a wild procedural posture. It's also a, a real abuse of justice. Um, and so that's how we're here. Uh, even the judge at the trial court didn't really want to open the door to these kinds of challenges, but also for political reasons, opposed the policy and just did whatever the hell he wanted to do. And just to repeat that, you said this is the uh, owners or founders of Home Depot, correct? Just, you know, yeah, so maybe I should start shopping at Lowe's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should start yeah. shopping at Lowe's. I'm shopping at Lowe's. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a dark money group called Job Creators Network that was founded by the founder of Home Depot. And so it is It is Home Depot money. He's a major Home Depot shareholder. Home Depot should know that you're pissed about this. I mean, I'd love to jump in here too and just highlight one other thing that just the layers of silliness here just are compounded. Uh, Natalia was focusing on one case. I couldn't help but notice what you mentioned about the second case, which is we're talking about trying to block student debt relief for borrowers to prop up a student loan company that is owned by another government entity. Like the layers of irony here and injustice when it comes to making sure borrowers are whole over profits, just it's it's just 
baffling to me that this is the situation that we're facing right now. So there is the making of a real scandal here. Um, the federal government goes out into the marketplace, hires some contractors to run the student loan program. Uh, I think we'd all like to see better companies in the student loan program. This has been our fight in particular for alongside you guys for the better part of a decade. Um, this one in particular, though, because the state of Missouri created it back in the early 80s, um, a Republican AG is going to point to it now and say that that company that our legislature created back in the 80s, even though it's independent, even though it is, for example, doing deals with SoFi to service private student loans, it does lots of things that have nothing to do with the state of Missouri. They're going to point to it and say that if it gets less business, if this company in our state gets less business, we get to sue you to stop public policy that we don't like. and. That's a wild set of arguments, but I think you're totally right, Cody. It's also a huge miscarriage of justice. Like, why do the interests of a student loan company matter in this conversation? And why do they matter more than the rights of borrowers? And I actually want to throw a question out there that I keep thinking about it. So why should these court cases matter to you, even if you're not a borrower? So we're lucky enough to be in this fight along with our friends at, at an organization called Democracy Forward. And part of the reason why the progressive community that cares about the right-wing drift of the court and the future of the judiciary and the future of democracy is in this fight with student borrower advocates is because this should matter to all of us. Uh, we just saw the decision in job uh, Dobbs snatch bodily autonomy away from half of this country. And we just saw voters go to the polls and reject that deeply disturbing view of how the world should work. Um, and now we're in a place where, uh, you know, I don't want to equate this with the devastation that Dobbs caused, but certainly this is another place where this right-wing court could walk into the kitchen tables of 40 million families and take something away from them. And that should matter to everybody, not just the people that are affected here, because uh, you're going to keep seeing this court over and over and over again, snatch people's rights away. Yeah, I and I and let's get into this after the break. But I'm also thinking of last summer's EPA case and their yeah. reasoning of the major questions that it just feels like the court, this very activist court can decide however they want to. And the law doesn't matter. And then we're all at risk to simplify it. And that freaks me out. It should. It's awful. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I do know there's other updates that we want to get to in the next segment, which is really important for so many borrowers. So we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to jump back in in just a few minutes. This is the SDCC takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Natalia Abrams, and I'm joined by Cody Hunanian and Mike Pierce. Uh, Mike's from the Student Borrower Protection Center, and here at Student Debt Crisis Center, we are taking over the Leslie Marshall Show once again to discuss all the recent developments around student debt. And if you've been listening with us for the past hour, we've been talking a lot about the court case. And, you know, Mike, I want to give you an opportunity to just add anything else before we go on to Biden's new repayment program and also the new changes in the Congress. If there's anything you have left to add. 
The only other thing I would add is that, um, and I think riffing on your point before, Natalia, about how this is everybody's fight, uh, what comes next should matter to everybody too. Um, depending on how this court case goes, and again, we're clear-eyed about what we're up against here. The president's gonna have to make a decision about whether he points back to the court and says, rules are rules, or whether he delivers on his promise to people with student debt one way or the other. And the president has extraordinary authority. The Secretary of Education has extraordinary authority under federal law to deliver debt relief any number of ways to people. And it's just clear to me, it is crystal clear to me, that this is not the end of anything. And that win or lose at the Supreme Court, we can't go back to the way things used to be. Yeah, absolutely. Like thousand percent. And you know, Mike, I think that's something you share with us at being in this space for so long, frankly, longer than us, which not a lot of people can say, but that I don't remember a time where, you know, student loan news would break and it would be across all local news and all breaking yep. news. And so we have the ear of the press. We have the ear of public opinion. I think it's just not losing that, right? Because if things don't go our way, then President Biden needs to fulfill his campaign promise. 45 million people. Like, I think you said that, right? Like going into 45 million people and taking money out of their pocketbook is not a good look for the Republicans or the Republican Supreme Court. Yep. And on that, actually, before we go to the good news of the repayment program, uh, I just would love to get your feelings on our new education chair, Virginia Fox, who we have to deal with yet again. If you have any quick takes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is old news, but it's new news, I suppose. So so Virginia Fox is now the senior Republican responsible for the student loan system. And she was the House Republican that was responsible for uh, providing cover for for-profit colleges and for Navient and for making the mess that we're in right now back the last time that Republicans controlled Congress. And she was a thorn in the side of the Obama administration. She was an enabler of the Trump administration. We're going to get the same as it ever was, except this time she's going to be laser focused on doing everything she can to make it easier for these challenges to debt relief to succeed and harder for the president to be able to do right by people with student debt. So certainly she's not a friend. Certainly it's not good news, but also we've been here before and we want. Right. Absolutely. And the law, the law is on our side and, you know, we know that for this, these current defenses, the president is president Biden is using the heroes act, but, there's other, you mentioned it. So there's settlements and compromise, right? There are other legal actions that can be taken even if we fail in the court. Correct? Yep. Do you have a um, And maybe that's feeling? a great segue into yeah. to the announcement from yesterday too, because this is another example of a place where the administration can use other tools to deliver debt relief for folks. Absolutely. And I just wanted to ask real quick if you had a gut feeling on whether borrowers will see payments resume this year. I don't think so. Um, I think that there, I, 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 you know, I, I don't know that this is like a, a, I'd stake my, my firstborn on it, but it does feel like, right. um, the winds at our backs here and the chances of keeping the student loan system shut off one way or the other through the 2024 election even doesn't seem too out of reach. We've gotten really far making this case that, uh, until debt relief really reaches everybody, there's no way to win here and turn this thing back on. Yeah, and that's a stance all of our, or many of our organizations have taken. Until you cancel debt, you can't turn on, I guess, what the remaining payments would be for people um, until it's clear. So uh, that's my gut feeling too. And that helps propel that fight to keep working on, in this space. Uh, Cody? 
Well, yeah, I was interested, Mike, you were starting to make that segue, but uh, you mentioned we, we have this news from yesterday, which is uh, the administration continuing to move forward on uh, an affordable repayment program for at least some borrowers. So, you know, I guess I, I think one legislator described this months ago as like really the, the kind of the hidden treasure of the president's plan here because of the long-term benefits this provides. Can we just talk about what this update is and what it means for borrowers? Um, so there's a lot of good, a little bit of bad, and a whole bunch of ugly here. Um, this is the newest version of what the administration has called income-driven repayment. Anybody that has student loans probably knows what income-driven repayment is. It's been around for a long time. This was the jewel of President Obama's effort to promise people affordable loan payments. And frankly, it didn't work very well. Um, millions of people got lower monthly payments, and millions of other people struggled to get access to this program or couldn't get into it um, or discover once they were there that either their payments were too high or the payments they made didn't cover the interest that was being charged to them uh, or the government lost all their records of their payments. And even though they promised them that after 10 years or 20 years or 25 years of payments, their debts would be canceled, no one bothered to cancel their debts. And so we're in this place now where the latest version of this is so much better on so many different fronts. Um, you make payments, that's all you're getting charged that month. There's no more runaway interest charges. You're never gonna see your balance grow. That's a huge win for undergrads and for grad students yet. Um, it's a very big deal for everyone. Uh, maybe the biggest success in this proposal. For people that only have loans from undergrad, their monthly payments are also getting cut in half. And so you pay um, what the administration calls 5% uh, of your discretionary income it, on your loans from undergrad. Grad students still pay 10%. That actually doesn't change for them. But what does change is when you start making payments. So before, for a single person that just graduated from school, it was in the low $20,000 when you had to start making payments. If you were unemployed, your payment was zero. If you were par employed part-time, your payment was probably zero. But if you had a full-time job, you were almost certainly paying something. They raised that floor up. And so now if you make a little bit more than $30,000 or less as an individual, uh, it becomes much higher if, you, if you're married, if you have kids. Um, you don't have to make payments on your student loans. And what that actually means in practice is that for most people right out of school, you're going to get a couple of years with no payments. Um, and that's a really big deal. And for folks that just never get value out of college, they never figure out how to make a career uh, out of this messed up economy or the school that cheated them, um, this also offers a safety net here. If you are chronically a low income person, lower income person, and really like the basically the bottom half of all people in America, it's not even just low income people anymore. Um, you won't have to make payments on your student loans. And after 20 years, those loans will be canceled. If you have a very low balance, those loans can be canceled as fast as 12 years. Uh, if you went to grad school, it may take 25. So again, this is a complicated program. And so when I say the good, the bad, and the ugly, the, the bad is that it leaves some folks out. It doesn't offer those benefits to people that were parents that took out loans for their um, for their kids or other dependents. Um, they are not helped by this new policy, even though they need it. And the ugly part is that this is incredibly complicated. So it, it does, it sets up all of the same bad bureaucracy that made this unworkable for millions of people. It doesn't really take a step to fix all of that in the short term. But it does make a head nod towards the future where a lot of this stuff becomes automatic. If you miss your payments, but you don't have a job, they'll use your IRS information to automatically give you a $0 payment. If you're in default, they'll give you credit towards debt cancellation under income-driven repayment. There are some promises here in this new proposal that are really good and will make some of the ugliness go away, but that won't happen at first. It's going to be real messy before it gets better. 
Yeah, the unfortunate part with the confusion of the messiness, I always think of a business adage that like mystery equals margin, right? And so they're able, the, that confusion is so bad for borrowers. But the good, especially with the discretionary income increasing, being someone that lives in California, I know folks that live in big cities, New York City, that kind of thing, have largely been excluded from these programs. By raising that percentage, more people are going to be included than ever before. This is if and when we resume repayment as well, to be clear. When do we expect this to take effect for borrowers that are actually still paying? Let's not forget about the seven to nine million people still in active repayment. When will when do we expect these new rules to take effect? Uh, so this is just a proposal. Um, right now, we have the opportunity to weigh in on what we think works, what mm -hmm. we think doesn't. Um, we're going to spend some time really getting into the guts of these, uh, you know, more than 100 pages worth of rules here to figure out how this actually works and where it needs to be made better. We have a month to be able to provide comments back to the government about how to make this stronger. And at that point, they'll review those comments, they'll figure out what to do with it, they'll issue what's called a final rule, and that won't go into effect likely until July 1st at the earliest. It could be as late as November. Um, and so I would say the back half of the year is when that, that's the earliest that could be available to folks. But the student loan companies that mess up everybody's accounts every single day still have to figure out how to actually make this work. And that takes some time too. So uh, keeping the student loan system, this is a great reason to keep the student loan system off because we need yes. to be able to cash in on these promises and we won't be able to do it if people have to make payments at the end of the summer. All right, so for borrowers, uh, please submit comments. Uh, if you have them on repayment programs, that's a first step. And then join us at the Supreme Court on February 28th. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike, for joining us. Cody, this is Natalia Abrams, and this was the Student Debt Crisis Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets.